Amen. Well, I want to start this morning with a story that I came across um, in a Christian magazine that I get uh, on a monthly basis. And um, it's a couple of, uh, couple of days ago, I came across a story, sto- story from a Bible teacher. Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. And some of the students that were in the class were only 18 or 19 years old, and they, I wanted them to understand and appreciate the important part of that last line. So I clarified it by adding, an enterprise, that's a business. After a few moments, Martha, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand. I could not imagine what a Christian might be. And I thought that this little story I put together was very self-explanatory and that I'd performed it brilliantly. Nevertheless, I acknowledged her hand and said, yes, Martha, what's your question? And she said in a simple way, a business. But isn't it supposed to be a body? I could not envisage where this last line of questioning was going. And the only response I could think of was, well, yes, it is. She continued, but when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? And when I read that last line, I gasped, what a true statement. Not only was the first sentence a great simplification of church history, but the quote itself reveals maybe a big problem in the church today, that Leonard Ravenhill put it this way, in the New Testament church, it says they were all amazed. Today and now in our churches, everyone wants to be amused. We've become all wrapped up in anything but that of Jesus Christ. Yet he and he alone should be at the center and the preeminence of our lives. That's what it says in Colossians 1.18. Jesus in his rebuke to the church in Ephesus declared, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And I read that story out. It's a massive challenge to the church. But I read it out to highlight that our whole message this morning is we need a move of God. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. It's not an optional extra. We have to be a people and a church that are living in the presence of God, that have the Holy Spirit, and our power really comes through our dependence on Him. You know, so during COVID-19 lockdown, God's been saying a few things, and one of them is the way forward was less trust in human ability and a much greater effort on depending on the Holy Spirit. Living without the Holy Spirit, you might as well try to see without eyes or hear without ears or breathe without any lungs. That's what trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is really like. Acts 1.4 says, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. They waited, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, they transformed the known world around them. And the great thing is, the Holy Spirit is available to you and me today. The same Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost, that filled the upper room, is the same Holy Spirit that you and I can have in our lives. This was the blueprint for Christianity. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's actually Zechariah 4, 6. And we hear that verse a lot. But that was given from, uh, from an angel to Zerubbabel, who was rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem after the exile. And the same scripture is so true for us today, who are building the God's kingdom, building the church. We need the spirit of God, not in our own might, not in our own strength, but only by the spirit of God in us. And as we've been hearing over the last few weeks, especially from Pastor Tark, is that we've tried in our own might, we've tried in our own strength, and it really hasn't got the job done. In the Old Testament, the focus was on God's uh, presence in the temple, as we heard last week, and then in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was present, and now in every believer, we have 
the Holy Spirit living in us. We are living in the era of the Holy Spirit. Maybe turn to the person on the same row as you or behind you and say, you're living in the era of the Holy Spirit. John 6, uh, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The Spirit gives life. Think about that for a minute, Spirit giving life. You know, everyone wants to have a great life. Does anyone want to have a stink life? No, no, I don't think so. Does anyone want to have a great life? Who wants to have a great life? We want to have a great life, right? That's so true. But often it's in the natural that we try and have a great life and not always in the spirit. Now, if you um, ever tried to fly a kite, we've um, down the road from where we live in Tiatatu Peninsula, there's this park, and every year they do this big kite festival. And so people bring all their kites, and uh, you know they launch them up into the, into the sky, and the wind picks them up, and there's this massive display of all these amazing kites from all over the show. Um, but the truth is, is without the wind picking up these kites, these kites wouldn't go anywhere. They'd just be lying on the ground and you wouldn't be able to look at them. And it's so true with our Christian faith. If we don't have the Holy Spirit breathing into us, we're like those kites just lying on the ground. Uh, we might be existing, but we're not functioning or flourishing or doing the thing that God has made us to do. We need the wind of the Spirit in our lives. Galatians 3.3 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You know, a recent conversation with one of my old um, pastors back in Christchurch at a Baptist church, we got talking about the conference coming up. This is at the beginning of the year, and he was going to come along. And that, and we just got talking, and he, you know, um, years ago we used to be at the same church, and he's at another place now. But he just said to me, oh, you got invited to come back and speak at our old church. And, man, I loved our Baptist church growing up. It was so awesome. We had, um, we were like Baptist but Pentecostal, so we were Baptecostal. And uh, it was great. We had this, like, we just had the Holy Spirit in everything we did. And it was, it was a great time. Um, but I remember when he said to me, he said he went back to preach then. And the, he turned up, and on the morning there would have been maybe seven people there. And, you know, we grew up in this church of, like, all ages, families and everything. And he just said to me, man, it was so hard. Like, he got up, spoke, and just wanted to get out of there. And he just said, you know, it's... It was really hard, and we both kind of, I guess, we grew up in that place, and he was a great pastor there and there, and it just kind of got me thinking, you know, I'd heard from people that over the years had changed things, and, you know, um, cafe-style services, and then other things, and seeker-friendly services. They tried to do a lot of things, and in the process of it, almost the Holy Spirit kind of got sidelined in everything that was happening. And a lot of the times, with the Holy Spirit no longer at the center stage of the church, the result is the influence of the church declines. There's little transformation in the community or society around it. Virtually no increase of Christianity in the, in the church or in the nation. But we need to contend for the Holy Spirit. He must not be sidelined, either in my life or in our church. Um, I've been reading through the book of Jude. It's one of the smallest books in the Bible. It doesn't have any chapters uh, in that. So if you want to say that you're really getting good on your Bible reading, just read Jude. You could say you've read the whole book. Um, but in Jude 3, it says, Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith, for what we once was all entrusted to, to God's holy people. And the point here was Jude was writing this letter. He was concerned that the church was losing its way due to ungodly people who really didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And, you know, to an extent, Pastor Tark, Church Unlimited, you know, and other churches have been raised up 
to, you know, say and to speak into the church at the moment uh, that, hey, we can't sideline the Holy Spirit. We can't put him out. We can't program him out. We need him. We need to contend for the Holy Spirit. As Jude is mentioning here, that they need to contend for the faith. So, you know, whether it's personally for you or for our church, we need to contend for the Holy Spirit. There's a quote that says, we don't want the church, uh, we, don't, we don't want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. We need to get the world out of the church and the church into the world. And, you know, there's no greater time that we need the church to be in the world, especially when you look across what's happening in the States uh, with racism and prejudice. You know, Jesus, he was, the, he was the one that had the greatest heart for the oppressed, for the despised, for the downtrodden, for the marginalized. You look at the heart of God. Jesus personified what it meant to identify with those that were going through hardships, that were on the fringe of society. His heart was for, for all of them. And he went, he loved them so much, he went to the cross for all mankind. The gospel was the great equalizer for all humanity. Acts 17, 26, he says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Before him, all are of equal value. In his eyes, there is no favoritism. And you know, for me personally, for Church Unlimited, we stand against and condemn every form of racism and prejudice. You know, and personally, you know, I grew up, most of my good friends growing up were, uh, were Māori, Pacific Island, were brown and were white and all sorts. And I really struggled to, I, I guess, understand the concept of everything that's happening, although I grasp what's happening. Um, but for me, I look at Scripture and I look at what it says. And it says, you know, James 2, 8, 9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You will do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So this is a time to really pray for peace, especially for reconciliation in the United States and all the nations that this is affecting. But remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the powers and principalities that are working behind all of this. This is a time that we need to fast and pray, as Susie was mentioning before, and we're doing this week. The world doesn't have the answers. Only Jesus Christ is up for the challenge of handling the things that our world is going through right now. So I really feel that it's high time for the church to wake up and recognize the signs of the times. There's a um, scripture in 1 Chronicles 12 uh, that says that um, these are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribes with their relatives, and all these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. And I really feel like right now, you know, the church, God's awakening people to know what are the right things that we need to do. What are the things that we need to be doing at these times? And um, the truth is that there are difficult days ahead. There's no other way to paint it, you know, and that's not me speaking. That's just scriptures speaking that there will be difficult times ahead. And I'm not trying to, you know, say something of doom and gloom. I'm just, just speaking basically what Jesus spoke. You know, when he went with his disciples, he said to them, you know, to expect persecution, to expect the things that they were going to experience. He didn't try and sugarcoat it, you know, but he promised them that he would never leave them. He would never forsake them. That whatever he, they went through, he would be with them through thick and thin, through the fire, through whatever they went through, he would be with them in it. And that's the greatest promise we have uh, with the Holy Spirit. I, um, I got sent a prophecy this week from David Peters, um, who he had received from someone else in Australia, and just asking for some feedback on it. And basically the prophecy said that, you know, COVID-19 was bad, 
but worse is yet to come. A shaking is coming on the earth. Hebrews 12, 27 says, speak, uh, speaks about all things that can be shaken will be shaken. And, you know, it said a whole range of other things, I guess, in, in that. But the thought was, you know, we need to prepare now. We need to prepare. Uh, I actually spoke a message about being prepared on our first service here in the city building. And uh, a part of that was about getting our walk with God to a strong place. You know, knowing how to self-feed through our own prayer time, our own time in the Word of God, maintaining a strong uh, walk with God for ourselves. You know, at the end of the day, we are all responsible for our own walk with God. Uh, We'll stand before God on our own and give an account of our lives to God. You know, it won't be you and me standing there or you and Pastor Tark or you and Joyce Meyer or you and your wife. No, actually, we stand before God on our own and give an account of, I guess, the time that we had, the talents and the resources God gave us, the things that we did. So there's a truth to that, that, hey, we need to be ourselves, feeding ourselves on the Word of God, getting closer to God. And, uh, and that passionate cry needs to, to come from our heart, come Holy Spirit. Uh, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And man, I want to see this. I need to see the power of God. I've got a prayer card at home. I think I told you guys about it before. And on it, when I pray for the city church, um, there's one that says, you know, uh, at the top of the list says, God will release to us a city building. And then I've got a little box and I've got a big tick saying, yes, this has happened. And then the next line down says that God will uh, release, you know, uh, raise up great leaders in our church. And I've got a tick next to that. And then I've got a few other things in there that I've ticked. But down the bottom of the list is I've got, in every service, we will see the power of God through miracles, healing, signs, wonders, incredible things. And I, I seriously, every time I want to tick that and I'm going, God, I'm expecting because I need to see this. We need to see this. You know, wouldn't you rather come to church and instead of hearing a great sermon with a few jokes, just seeing the power of God move, people coming in with huge needs, being healed, set free, delivered, those with you know, broken limbs or thing, you know, physical things and being completely set free and healed. Those are the things that I'm starting to go, okay, God, this is what happened at Pentecost. This is what I want to see. Not in 10 years, not in another generation. I want to see it with my own eyes. So we need to see a move of God as we've been singing this morning. The signature of Jesus was his miracles. That's what set him apart from every other religious leader of his time. You know, they had the qualifications, they had the office, they had the influence, if you like, but Jesus had the miracles and the power of God that completely blew everything else out of the water. And that's what we need today. And that's what I truly believe everyone is hungry for today. You know, when you talk to people in their workplace or in their family, whatever, you can just sense there's a longing for truth. There's a longing for for the power of God that's missing in people's lives. So we need that. Um, I just want to share three keys to... uh, to depending on God this morning that kind of highlight how do we depend on God more. The first one is we need to to wait on God. We need to be a people that wait on God. You know, I've found waiting on God, waiting quietly on God, is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of my day or a part of my moments throughout the week. We find it really hard to wait, though. The truth is we find it really hard to wait for anything, you know. We just want to get things done. Like we love to happen. We love to make things happen and make things, you know, um, we like to solve the problems. We like to get things done. And that's probably why we're in the mess in the first place is because we haven't waited on God. We depend more on our own human effort. But we live in a society where it's all about, you know, instant gratification. 
uh, instant food, on-demand TV. Uh, you know, like if I, man, if I just need, um, you know, if I need food made for me, Lord, if I just say, Katie, can you cook me some my dinner? It's five o'clock, what's going on? You know, I just want things to happen straight away. And she says, sure, honey, I love you. I'll make whatever you like. You know, do you need your foot scrub? Do you need a back rub, you know? I mean, basically, that's what it looks like every day. Every day. Yeah, I wish. Man, in the first service, she was like, who are you? But anyway, and uh, yeah, so I, I might pay for that when I get home. But I just, you know, the thing is, we want things straight away, don't we? We, we just, we live in a society that's charged with just right now. I don't want to wait. I was thinking about this in the first service, and um, I thought, man, waiting on God is, is really hard, but there's something that happens when we allow God to just take those moments and those spaces. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. Man, he acts for those who wait for him. And thinking about waiting, eh? Like there's all these moments throughout the day where we wait. So we wait for to catch the bus. We wait in line to order a coffee. We wait to boil the jug. We wait to, um, you know, to, to brush our teeth because there's other people in the bathroom brushing their teeth. Um, we wait for, um, you know, we, we wait to fill up the car with petrol. There's all these moments where we're waiting during the day. Probably the big one is, is when you're waiting for your wife to get ready to come to church. It's just taking forever. And, you know, that's a big one. You know, you're waiting a long time, but there's things that you're always waiting for. And there's those moments, and I don't think they're recording this one, so it's all good. But, you know, there's moments throughout the day, honestly, where, where you can always be waiting. Imagine if you took those moments, just 30 seconds, actually, or a minute or whatever it is, and you, instead of just waiting and just letting that time just slip past you, like we always probably do, instead of doing it, maybe actually saying, okay, hey God, I'm just going to wait on you. You know, okay, so tomorrow, for example, you know, you're waiting for the jug to boil and you're just waiting on God saying, okay, God, I need you today. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you in my life. I need you in my family. I need you in my job. You know, just take those moments because they do. They happen all throughout the day. There's moments where we have to wait. So I just encourage you to think about how could you wait? Uh, you know, if we want to see an increase of power of the Holy Spirit, the scripture is clear. We need to wait on God. Francis Chan says, when was the last time you enjoyed meaningful time alone with God, time so good that you didn't want to leave? Mm. We've become experts at gathering Christians around great bands, great speakers, events, but sometimes we've failed is in teaching believers how to be alone with God. There's something in that, you know, we need to learn how to be alone with God. My example that I had growing up was my dad would always read the Bible in the morning before he went into, you know, work and stuff like that, asking God into each day. My dad was not a pastor. He didn't work at a church. He didn't even work at an office. He was a tradesman. He worked building houses with his hands. He had calluses. He had a hammer. So if a tradesman can stop and ask God into every moment of every day, and he had, you know, like he had a ghetto blaster at work, you know, and hard boots and a hard hat. Someone like that, I think, is a good example of why we need God in every moment of every day. That set an example for me, knowing that if I need to live, I need to live this Christian life, I need God in my life every day. I need to invite him in to be part of everything I'm doing. The thing is, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to actually begin doing this in your life. It's never too late to begin just asking God into those moments, into your day. 
Um, but we just need to make a decision to start to wake up and spend that time with God. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But for those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So if you're weary, if you feel like things are getting out of control, just encourage you to wait on the Lord. The second thing we need to do is to charge your spirit. So I'm just going to um, get a Tushar. He's just going to bring up something for a bit of a demonstration. And I just want to use this as an illustration because we need to be charging our spirit. Last week, Pastor Tuck used the example of charging your phone. You remember that? I don't know if you saw that last week. He was talking about charging your mobile phone. I thought that was a great illustration, but we need to take it to another level. So I thought instead of charging your phone, you know, the other thing you can do is you can charge other devices. And I've got a device here, and this device is my uh, Makita Powerless, power, powerless, powerless. Powerless. Cordless. Cordless drill. Thank you. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that just make you want to go and build something, you know? Oh, it's great. Different settings. All that sort of stuff on there. But, you know, this drill is, uh, is powerful. I actually recently made some steps at our house uh, with this drill. But eventually, over time, when you keep using it, it drains the battery. If I take this out and I try and drill things at home and trying to make something, if I'm trying to drill something, it's just not going to work. I mean, I could try. I could stick this into the screw and try and turn this around and... Screw it in, but imagine the effort I'm going to have to have to do that. You'd look like an idiot, by the way, trying to screw something together while you're moving this whole thing around. But when you've got that power connected to it, how often do we try and do things just through our own strength, trying to make it happen when available to us is the power of the Holy Spirit, but we've got to be charged. You know, this thing comes with this charging device. You take this off, you put it in the little charging dock, and you slip it in, and it starts charging. The great thing about these is they make a noise. You know how everything today charges and it's real quiet? Nah, man, these things have got this great noise. And it's there to remind you that it's charging. It's like... And it's just this little powerful reminder that, oh, yeah, yeah, we're charging a drill. And, uh, and that. But anyway, but you put it in, you charge it, and then it's got a green light to tell you when it's ready. You take it out, and sure enough, the whole thing fires away. But I wonder, you know, how many times we don't spend that time charging up a spirit with God, staying connected to God, hearing his voice. Your whole life and future success depends on charging your spirit, getting close to God. This, get this right, and you'll enjoy more peace, more joy, more breakthroughs. You know, every time I look at those deck and the steps that I made, it reminds me, I need to just pray for one minute. I need to connect with God. I need to charge my spirit. So get real practical this week, finding moments where you can charge your spirit. The third point I want to make, third key, is that we need to be a people that are praying and fasting. Before 3,000 people were saved on Pentecost, the disciples had spent 50 days in prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting was the blueprint of the early church and a key to reaching the lost. Prayer and fasting speaks of a huge reliance on the Holy Spirit, and we need to strengthen this discipline in our lives. You know, if prayer and fasting... We increase our dependence on the Holy Spirit and our ability to wait and we'll charge our spirit. The writer of a book called Behind Enemy Lines had a vision where an angel took her to what looked like a boardroom of the enemy. And she overheard some conversations. And there was a, there was a demon 
who spoke of a group giving them problems in this boardroom. And the group was called the Fasted Ones. And it was clear in the demonic kingdom understood the power of fasting and how it affects the spiritual IQ. The writer says she believes we must fast more than ever in these last days. You know, this Tuesday to Thursday, we'll be praying and fasting. Uh, and we'll include, you know, people coming back to church, uh, people coming to salvation, those that need jobs, personal breakthroughs, and all those sorts of things, praying against what's happening in the States with racism and prejudice, but also for your own life and for a move of God. But can I encourage you, just start somewhere with prayer and fasting. Just start somewhere, whether it's a meal, whether it's a day, whatever you can do. But this is a discipline that Jesus talked about over and over again. And we need to be a people that are praying and fasting. And, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to do it together when the church is going through prayer and fasting. So Church Unlimited, along with others, have been raised up by God to restore the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to the church, to revive the church. This is the only hope for our church and our nation. It doesn't matter how much we reshuffle the program or change the lights around or do any of that. We need a move of God. We need His Spirit. You know, Pastor Tart the other day was in a prayer meeting with all the staff, and he was just saying, you know, throughout history, you've had leaders and monarchs and kings and uh, and, and government rulers that have called nations to pray and fast. They've, they've done that throughout history. And of course, King uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he called the nation to a day or a time of fasting. And he was just saying, imagine if the leader of New Zealand called the nation to a day or a time of prayer and fasting. Imagine the spirit and the heart and the faith of the people in our nation, what would rise and what would be the result of that, of praying and fasting. And to be honest, I struggle to see it right now. But imagine if that was the, actually something that happened. That's something we need to start believing for uh, and asking God for. So we have pushed the reset button. Church will no longer be the same. There is a new normal, a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. And when there's a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit, we will see His kingdom come. We'll see more of His presence, more of His power. And there will be a move of God in your life, in my life, and in our church. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, worship team, we'll get you guys to come back up. And uh, we're just going to go back into that song that we sang earlier today, that we need a move. So church, if you want to stand up, and just before we close this morning, I just want us to spend some time in that song, because we need a move of God. We need a move personally. We need a move in our church. And, um, you know, as we go into that song, why don't you just think about the area or the place that you really need a move of God. Maybe it's just in waiting on God developing that heart to just wait on God. Uh, or maybe it's just in charging your spirit, you know, getting connected to God. Maybe there's a bit of a, a place where you just, you know, you need to get more connected to God. Or maybe it's with prayer and fasting and asking God for that strength to go through prayer and fasting. So as we go into that song, why don't you just close your eyes, open your heart to God and just ask Him right now to speak into your life as we sing. Thanks, Steve.